0: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large at at Recode, and you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is a show where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about consumer tech and the week's news. You can send us your questions on Twitter with the hashtag TooEmbarrassed. We also have an email address, TooEmbarrassed at Recode.net. Reminder, there are two R's and two S's in embarrassed in case you cannot spell. Today on Too Embarrassed to Ask, I'm here in the studio with Renee Deresta, who does a lot of things, so she has a lot of titles. We're going to go through them now. She's the head of policy at the nonprofit Data for Democracy, the director of research at the startup New Knowledge, and also is a founding advisor at the Center for Humane Technology, which is the group behind the Time Well-Spent Movement and also one of the most ironic uh, names for something humane technology. Okay, Um, we're going to talk about that more. Renee is an expert on a lot of important issues on the internet today, including disinformation and social media manipulation, which is an area that I'm hugely interested in, as are many people. We're going to talk about all that. Renee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I want to get a little bit of your background first, and then we'll get to some questions
1: I have. So this is a lot of stuff. So parse it all down for us to break it all down. Yeah, so Data for Democracy, Democracy is a data science collective. There's about Mm -hmm. uh, 3,000 members, um, and it is much bigger than just disinformation. Uh, There's channels in there where people are looking at vehicular traffic fatality data, where people Mm -hmm. are looking at gerrymandering, uh, voter registration. Uh, It's just a collective of data scientists who are interested in using their skills to make a difference in the world, mostly Mm -hmm. social good projects. Uh, one of the channels in there is related to disinformation and misinformation. Mm-hmm. When we started realizing the extent to which this was a problem, I began doing some advising um, in Congress. And as you know, at the time, I was actually working at a supply chain logistics company that I had helped found. Mm-hmm. It got to be a little bit difficult explaining why I worked in supply chain logistics, but also this was like my, uh, my, mm-hmm. my passion project. Um, so we decided that we would spin up a policy team uh, at Data for Democracy whereby we could do a little bit of lobbying and advocacy work as independent tech, independent techies, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, New Knowledge is a company that builds detection and mitigation technologies specifically for manipulated narratives. So Mm -hmm. there is social listening where brands will get alerted to, um, you know, they have 500 mentions of Coca-Cola, for example. Um, What New Knowledge does is we ascertain whether or not those mentions are Organic, or if they're a kind of coordinated campaign to right. uh, impact the reputation of the yeah. brand. Mm-hmm. We're talking.
0: There's a lot of companies popping up. Zignal, There's a
1: whole bunch mm-hmm. of people now doing. Most recently, I think. Um,
0: yeah. There's there's a lot of we'll talk about that because um, we're going to be talking them later today about something else. So, and then the Center for Humane Technology, which is my favorite name of a of a group. So,
1: I'm just an advisor there. Um, mm-hmm. My area of interest is mostly kind of societal mm-hmm. implications for a lot rather of the... Than individuals. Exactly, rather than right. individuals. But, of course, um, since societies are comprised of individuals, these right. two things are related. Right. Uh, so, I spend a lot of time talking with Tristan about ways that um, we see specific design features consistently popping up time and time again across platforms um, at being misused or co-opted in an abusive way and thinking about what are the... Better ways that that the technologies could perhaps have uh, that ethical design more clearly built in, right? And what's at your background? Level. What your data, data science? I have a computer science degree. I worked on Wall Street. I've had a bunch of different,
0: right, <laughs> right. But but how did you get this area? Why why how did I get into really? that?
1: Yeah. yeah. So in uh, 2013, I had my first kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I started looking at, uh, you know, you have to do that preschool thing here. You got to get them on a list a year early. Yeah. Um, I I didn't want to be in a preschool with a bunch of anti vaxxers, candidly. And I, um, (laughs) California Department of Public Health. Well, (laughs) you'd be surprised. Yeah. Now I have kids. Yeah. California Department of Public Health um, had the, had the per school data sets, and I just downloaded them and uh, started looking at clustering and interesting oh, wow. areas. In which, yeah, I mean, some of the schools actually had um, vaccination rates in like thirty five percent. Whoa! Really? Yeah, so wow. it's you think you think that it's normal, and an overall population level, it is cluster wise, it's not. This mm-hmm. is actually you know a great um, analogy to disinformation and, and how it's mm-hmm. targeted. Right, it's really the vulnerable populations that, that mm-hmm. we that we look at, and I. Um, I got involved so you downloaded in the download the data. Yeah, downloaded the data. <laughs> so there were vaccinated children near your children. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was an important thing for me. Right. I, I just felt okay. like um, being in communities of people who had completely who different in values. Science, yes. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to be around people who believe in science. Right. Um, But what came out of that was actually the measles outbreak. The Disneyland measles outbreak happened in January. I had published my analysis of California's immunization problems in November. Mm -hmm. And I called my congressman, literally did that, you know, that thing called um, David Chu, called Mark Leno at the time Mm -hmm. and said, why aren't we introducing, you know, legislation to do something about this? Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, Senator Pan up in Sacramento is. And so I... uh, started doing analysis of the social media conversation around the bill mm-hmm. because it was polling at 85% and when the legislators were taking polls in their district and they were saying, why are we seeing 99%? Oh, why is it overwhelmingly negative? Why am I being harassed? Um, mm-hmm. Why am I getting death threats? Why am I having memes made of myself when I right. express support for this bill? Right. And so the way I got into all of this was really starting to dig into what was happening with that conversation. So the abuse of social media. The for- abuse of social media. Now at the time it wasn't really It was more of the manufactured consensus, um, concealing identity. Mm -hmm. At the time, it was more like weaponizing the kind of tools that people use for marketing Mm -hmm. or turning everything into a marketing campaign. Right. Ironically, at the time, uh, Devin Nunes, um, who is now, you know, one of the (laughs) top conspiracy pushers in Congress, one might argue. Um, One doesn't have to argue.
0: (laughs) Go ahead and say it right here. Being diplomatic.
1: Please don't.
0: He's a crackpot.
1: He is, he is a crackpot. But ironically, he was one of the first people who had uh, come out and said, you know, I'm really seeing this marked shift where my, my constituents it used to be ten percent telling me that, you know, the government was listening to their radio um and communicating you know, the aliens were communicating with them and now it's like ninety percent like mm-hmm. what has happened uh to my district. Mm-hmm. So it's this is something that so politicians has happened to <laughs> his district, but that's another <laughs> issue. Thank you, Devin.
0: It <laughs> takes a crackpot to know one. Um, so, uh, so so, you got interested in this issue, and, and yeah. it was largely manufactured outrage or manufactured— Yep,
1: manufactured outrage, manufactured consent. Then Which affix people. It does. It mm-hmm. does. And I then right around the same time, um, I met Jonathan Morgan, who's the founder of New Knowledge, and we met because we were asked to do some analysis of uh, extremist— content on social media, specifically ISIS. Now, Jonathan was one of the uh, authors of the ISIS Twitter census where they really went in there. And the same kind of work that um, Gilad Lotan and I had done on mapping the anti-vax conversation and the Mm -hmm. way that they were using kind of affinity marketing and co-opting hashtags Mm -hmm. and trying to grow their numbers, trying to look a lot bigger than they were. Mm -hmm. Um, Jonathan was doing very similar types of analysis on ISIS Mm -hmm. and on violent extremism. Um, There were a lot of parallels in how the technology was being used. You know, the Conspiracy theorists were relying on these new, you know, algorithmic amplification, Mm -hmm. megaphones, the ease of connecting with each other. Um, to spread their message, and ISIS was building a virtual caliphate, right. which both things at the time were largely being run completely undisturbed because mm-hmm. nobody could convince the social platforms that right. this was worth their but time. right because they're
0: using them exactly the way they were built. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So let's start, let's start talking about disinformation first. So talk about what that means because a lot of this is disinformation, like the idea of disinformation.
1: Yeah, so I think it, it maybe helps to um, to give the sort of – Taxonomy. So misinformation is something that's just accidentally wrong. It's the Mm -hmm. kind of stuff that your grandma sends you in a, you know, Mm -hmm. an email.
0: Yeah, Um, look at this.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's what Snopes used to debunk before it became like a political, you know, Mm -hmm. a political tool. Um, disinformation is misinformation with an agenda. It's quite deliberately done. Mm -hmm. It has Mm a a Mm -hmm. really clear agenda that it's looking to push. It's looking to either spread a message, to increase societal divisions. It's used as a tool. It's a tactic of information warfare.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, It's
1: it's not accidental at all. It's quite deliberate. Mm -hmm. And
0: so how does it exist on the Internet today? You were talking initially about that they were using existing tools, and they started the original hashtags and and things like that, and now— in a more automated sense.
1: Yeah, so disinformation, when we, it's probably helpful to talk about it in the context of Russia, because that's Mm -hmm. probably the example that most people have readily available. Um, So Russia, the Russian troll, the the internet research agency um, activities, did exactly what we saw with ISIS and with conspiracy mm-hmm. theorists. The, the goal is to blanket the internet, right. so they are everywhere. The message is everywhere, and right. that's because repetition really matters. Right, because you're trying to manufacture consensus. You want people to believe that there's huge percentages of the population that right. have a particular opinion, mm-hmm. uh, because you're trying to sway hearts and minds. Sure, and so like oh, I see all this. Right, like. exactly. I see it everywhere. It must be mm-hmm. people must be thinking this. It's it's not just me, and so it normalizes it. Mm-hmm. So what we saw there was. Um, Fake accounts on Twitter, and fake means two things. Sometimes fake can mean automated, meaning Mm -hmm. it's a bot. uh, And sometimes fake means an account that's just not what it's represented as. And oftentimes the best ones are run by real people. Um, because cool. they They're develop a persona. It. Yeah, right. so it's uh, it's persona. Um, and then it's just bots reinforcing it. And the bots reinforce it with, with it, the, likes right. and, and the likes. And that's because we're accustomed to looking at signals like number of stars, number of ret- retweets. Right. Uh, so the algorithm uses those as signal and people and use those as up. heuristics. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's how it operates on Twitter. Similarly, on Facebook, mm-hmm. Um groups, the creation of groups, the creation of pages. So you run an ad, you find people who are sympathetic to your point of view. Oftentimes that ad is tied to um, either a group that they want you to join, a page that they want you to like, or it's actually going to push you out to a third-party website, at which point the Facebook tracking pixel will recognize that you've engaged and spent time with the content on that site Mm -hmm. so that they can then retarget you. In the future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if they push you into a group, then you've effectively got an entire community around you of people who you think are just like you, who you think have the same interests as you. But some percentage of them are not what they seem to be. Uh, some percentage of them are in there to, mm-hmm. to convey a particular point of view. Right. Um, on uh, Google, you know, really, it's YouTube that's probably the biggest right. culprit. 100%. Yeah. On YouTube, it's, um, again, the pushing of content, but content in a different medium. Right. Uh, they had Vine accounts, so uh, they had Tumblr accounts. They mm-hmm. had um they they <laughs> had a promotion for Pokemon Go. Right. Uh there it's was It's hard on Snapchat. <laughs> it's impossible. It's <laughs> you can't I think it. it's less because it's much more no, it's curated. Yeah, exactly. It's curated.
0: Right. And the stuff they allow, the discovery is all their choices versus yeah. So nothing gets on there. That's true. And then the fleeting stuff just doesn't
1: it's impossible.
0: Doesn't it doesn't stick, which is interesting. It's designed like that, right? Which is what I want to talk about. So when you talk about this, you you talked about the social networks that they didn't, they aren't paying attention to mm-hmm. it. Can you talk about that? Because I think I feel that, and I think you're 100 percent right. But most, but their 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 stance, you know, Mark being in uh, Congress is like, oh, we take a broader responsibility now. Can you talk about um, that? that responsibility and the lack of responsibility, really.
1: Yeah, I really think there's there's been an evolution since uh, November 2016. I will say that had Trump not won the election, it's not totally clear to me that we'd be having the conversation no, in quite the yeah. same way. No, we would
0: Yeah. 100%. Um,
1: the, which is sad because it's actually really not a partisan issue. Mm-hmm. The Russia uh, activity very much was. They quite clearly had a preferred candidate, and mm-hmm. that is absolutely undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Russians were one you know one actor uh, operating in this space. like I've mm-hmm. said, there's a number of others,, yeah. both on the right and on the left that mm-hmm. are just, you know domestic ideologues using social platforms to push an agenda right. So I think the responsibility piece, um it's tied up in a lot of, Internet culture, you know, back in the '90s, uh, there's the ads model—the idea that mm-hmm. information should be free—and so supporting it with ads is a great way to ensure that everyone has access. Right. There are a lot of really noble principles underlying the the structural flaws that mm-hmm. exist today. Uh, there was, you know, when we were dealing with the ISIS stuff, there was the EFF arguing for if you take down ISIS content, it's a slippery slope. Right. You might accidentally, you might yeah. accidentally um, capture the content of someone who is mocking ISIS. Yeah, you saw that the other day. I think Sarah debunking from ISIS. Bloomberg had a great piece. That shrubbery because mm-hmm, Bush, right? Because Bush, yes. Yeah, the yeah. beans, I think, was another yeah. one. Yeah. So there's these yeah. interesting, um, <laughs> you know, the the you know, And for a long time, we've had this sense that because of American commitment to free speech, mm-hmm. a false positive is a terrible thing, right. actually a terrible thing, right. Right. as opposed to a false positive is something that can be remedied, and we mm-hmm. can put frameworks in place to right. deal with those, to, right. to have transparency, to have things like lumen. So it begins with a, gnu- a laudable thing. It does. I think a lot of it begins with a laudable thing, with the real commitment to free speech. Mm-hmm. Um, what. That became, though, that plus the combination of some legislative uh, things like uh, Communications Decency Act Section 230. Mm-hmm. Now, that act was created so that they were indemnified from yes. the content on their platform. We didn't want them sued out of existence because some mm-hmm. people posted some terrible things. Mm-hmm. Uh but it gave them the right to moderate as they saw fit what they chose to use it for, the way the norm was set, so that you had the regulation, but then you have the norms. Mm-hmm. The way the norm was set, it was really much more around like, well, we're just not going to moderate anything because mm-hmm. we're indemnified. Right. Um, so you had this sort of free-for-all. Twitter was perhaps the best possible. You, know, you really yeah. saw this like it was very, very mm-hmm. much in your face mm-hmm. um, in their complete unwillingness, um, their absolute ineptitude when it came to policing harassment. Mm-hmm. Harassment is one of the things that we do see people – um, Used to, to either amplify a point of view or suppress a point of view, right? right? Because you can effectively use your speech, particularly automated speech, to harass other people off right. the platform, thereby yeah. silencing their speech. Right. But that was not an argument that was very well received no. for a very long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we're finally starting why is to come that? around. What, why
0: do you think that is? Besides they were First Amendment, I think it's because they're all men and they don't get harassed that much. Honestly, I think it's the lack of diversity. I had several people at Twitter like, oh, I never got bothered. I'm like,
1: and you Yeah, know. it is remarkable. Um, I personally had, you know, pictures of my baby used mm-hmm. to harass me, right, to try to intimidate oh, me wow. into being quiet, pushing mm-hmm. them into harassment hashtags. And the response I got from the company was, well, that looks like a conversation. Ah. Uh, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like, yeah. no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I don't know what it's universe single. that looks like
1: a conversation in. But <laughs> <Jackass>. like, <yeah. laughs> I don't know how you talk to people, but that's right. not how I talk to them. Right. Um, but so it was definitely a, a series of, um, of of interesting interactions over there in particular. Um now I think now that the that they have seen that this is actually like a geopolitical issue that mm-hmm. this the stakes are extremely high right. here. Right. Um there is no way to avoid dealing mm-hmm. with it because there are regulators on both sides, you know, of the pond who are mm-hmm. saying like we're going to do something about this if you don't. Right. Uh so I think the credible threat of regulation plus the Terrible press cycles, mm-hmm. plus the employee, the internal employee kind of revolts. Right, um, perhaps not from management, but a lot of the Inter- yeah, internal absolutely. employees saying, yeah. "Like, what did we do here?" I think you saw that even on Twitter on election night, mm-hmm. a lot of employees um, quite publicly wondering, "Like, what did we do here? What, right. what happened?" But they continue to do it. They continue to do it, which is so. Who's most at risk when these things run rampant, from your perspective? Um, sometimes, you know. The demographics are really interesting. The platforms know that better than anybody else. Actually, it's Mm -hmm. interesting because we don't see it quite as much on the outside. It's very hard. We can gauge production of content. We can see, like, prevalence of narrative. We can see consumption of content through things like CrowdTangle and other analytics platforms Mm -hmm. that increase transparency about who's reading, you know, Mm -hmm. about what is being read. We don't have as much visibility into who's reading it. So we have to use these sort of little signals like – um, if we're looking at the sizes of particular groups on Facebook growing over time that's mm-hmm. something that we can see mm-hmm. um, there have been a number of articles done by investigative journalists that really dig into the boomer phenomenon actually mm-hmm. the idea that um, that that boomers are running a lot of the Twitter groups and are running a mm-hmm. lot you know really running a lot of the uh, The groups that um, are led by kind of like a charismatic one or two people who then say everybody amplify this message and then they all go and tweet from their accounts. Right, right. So there's – I think that the question of demographically who's most impacted, I can say with regard to the Russia uh, scenario, um, African-Americans were really targeted. There Mm -hmm. was a ton of uh, just proliferation of content. Uh, Black Lives Matter um related content but just a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Um just a little bit more extreme than you would normally see just pushing mm-hmm. the Overton window ever so slightly trying right. to normalize Explain it for the window of people. Um, the Overton window is the collection of um societally acceptable political opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that that's yeah, an accurate that's definition enough. of <laughs> 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 Thinking back on my Sci 101, to yeah, a bigger window. <laughs> So shifting the Overton window or expanding the Overton window means um, increasing or, or changing the the types of uh, positions, political positions that are considered mainstream mm-hmm. or that are considered respectable uh, some things that we're willing to discuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we saw was uh, most of the Russian content was related to societally divisive issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some LGBT pages. They were pro-LGBT, but the the content was pro-LGBT. But the they were being targeted at anti-LGBT people mm-hmm. uh, to kind of gin up outrage. There mm-hmm. were the Black Lives Matter pages that mm-hmm. were um, – that used a lot of very extreme rhetoric and talking about to scare police. Right. Yeah, so there is, of course, that tension and that problem that is very real and deserves attention, but what they were doing was just blanketing uh, the channels. Making the
0: group seem unreasonable.
1: Exactly. So right. making the group seem unreasonable um, right. and also taking things that were sort of uh, ex- you know, sensationalized in in and ways that were going to. Right. Because you don't want to have to work hard for every impression, right? Mm-hmm. This is, again, marketing right. 101. You want to create content that people are going to organically share. Right. And mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that if you create something, give it a sensationalist clickbaity type headline mm-hmm. and push it into a group that has, you know, their groups had about 100, thousand people in them. These were not small Facebook groups. Right, right. But then they would be picked up by groups that were even right. larger, like right. the other 99 percent, which I think has right. a couple million followers, uh, was sharing content from this fake page, Blacktivist, that had a couple hundred thousand followers. Right. So this information, you know, Just hundreds of going. millions of people saw so
0: it. So the 2018 midterms are coming up.
1: Just how screwed are we? <laughs> I think we really need better information sharing. Um I've been kind of beating that drum for a while. I think that what that means, um, you know, somebody said, does that mean that, that they're all going to, you know, that our privacy is going to go out the window? No, it's not what it means at all. It's information sharing in the sense of, like, tactical information sharing, threat detection. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing this anomalous behavior. We're seeing this um, bizarre content. We're seeing this blog that magically appeared right. yesterday. Which they can do with right. child
0: pornography. They do it with a lot of things. They yep. share
1: a lot of online So this resources. is where we're advocating for... Each of the platforms has great visibility into their own platform, and then third-party researchers have information and and signal from across the platforms. So we're looking at dissemination patterns and trends, uh, and then we're saying, hey, we think this is inauthentic. You have a second-order thing here, right? You've got device IDs. You've got IP addresses. You have a number of other signals that we don't have access to. Mm -hmm. Um, So this combination of researchers Platforms And then government, I would say, is kind of the third piece of this, where they actually do have information. People knew that Russia was using social networks long before the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. That information wasn't necessarily communicated in a very effective way. And I agree. And, yeah. and I am today. They were just having meetings where they feel the government's not even slightly. Right. Now, I think that the, the, the kind of blame there goes both ways in that when the government did make the outreach under the Obama administration to deal with the ISIS stuff, Uh, There was a lot of stonewalling. So I think it does have to be, you know, there's the fallout from the Snowden revelations. I think that Mm -hmm. we really need to see that restoration, that we're on the same side here. And for 2018, this is absolutely critical. Um, You know, there's so much distrust in the country on everything as it is. You know, half Mm -hmm. the country feels that the presidential election was illegitimate. I don't think that we're in a place societally where... Feeling that our midterms uh, are also illegitimate is—we don't want to be there. Right. And there's already a lot of campaigns underway to just erode trust in voting, in candidates, in platforms, and right. people. You know, in your neighbors. It's going to be a—it's going to be a challenge. Um, you're a professor. What is your no? No.
0: What are you? You're, I have these a are these bachelor's jobs. degree. Bachelor's degree. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. in um, computer science So, and so science. one of the <laughs> things that's happening is a lot of. Um, Academics have been studying all kinds of things. I just yes. was reading one. Um, the real academics. The real academics. Yes. But <laughs> reading one about um, the phone listening in on you thing is not true, but it's gone all over the Internet. There's right. a piece of disinformation. I, remember, I think I saw that. Uh, yeah. I saw that come out today. But it's not true. It. It's Of course it's not true. It's right. craziness. Um, but talk about this idea of societal, because here's people are so addicted to, to technology, individually, and everyone recognizes that and realizes it creates bad feelings, it creates unhappiness, it creates all kinds of things. Um, you were talking about a bigger societal issue.
1: Can you can you talk about that concept? I think there's a few things at work here. There's erosion of trust. Mm-hmm. Um, the mere fact that we know that these campaigns are underway, if you go on Twitter now— um, you'll see people accusing other people of being bots. doesn't mm-hmm. matter if they're actually bots or not. Bot is just a great way to dismiss someone who doesn't agree with you. Right. Uh, fake news, same thing. The president himself kind of took that term, co-opted it, and made it meaningless. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means things I don't like on the Internet now. Um, so the way that um, that we relate to each other, the way that we relate to truth, the way mm-hmm. that we, you know— You need to have a shared basis of fact in order to create good policy. You can disagree about what to do with those facts. You can disagree about how to weight those facts, how to weight them in, uh, you know, when you think about um, cost-benefit analysis as you're designing a a, a Mm -hmm. policy. But we used to all at least agree um, that people were acting in good faith and that researchers were – legitimate and that there was such a thing as expertise. And I think that that's kind of gone out the window now. Mm-hmm. We have people like Tom Nichols writing books called The Death of Expertise. You know? mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, I think that there's a profound division there. I think that one of the things that's challenging for people, and I wrote about this today, is you search for something. We've, we've, we've um, acclimated to the idea that the Internet is a great place to find information. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true today the way that it perhaps once was. Um, because of the proliferation and the ease with which you can spread manipulated narratives, so now we have situations where, last week there was a very sad story that happened on Facebook where um, a baby died. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parents chose not to get the vitamin K shot, which is something mm-hmm. that that um, facilitates clotting, mm-hmm. and the baby died. And the parents, as it you know, the story came to light, were members of many Facebook anti-vaccine groups. Mm-hmm. Um, when you search for vitamin K, if you're a new parent, you're a pregnant right. person, you search for vitamin K, what you find is this void mm-hmm. where scientists and doctors aren't out there writing posts about how critical vitamin K is. So what comes to the top is the information put out by ideologues right. and extremists. Right. And so we have the situation, we see it with cancer. Mm-hmm. We see all sorts of cancer quackery popping up. So really basic things that deeply impact people on a personal level. Where they're level. looking for real information. Yes, they're looking for real information entirely outside of politics. This is having mm-hmm. an impact on us societally yep. in terms of things like health. I was
0: just uh, arguing with people at YouTube because I was looking for Anti-Defamation League. I've told this story a number of times. And uh, uh, the top 20 videos were anti-Semitic. I-, I was like, you know, and when you look on Google, you get, when you look up Anti-Defamation League, you find Anti-Defamation League, you find uh, good material on anti-Semitism when you go on YouTube, you get the opposite. And I was like, you have this company that owns you named Google. Why can't your search yield the videos I'm looking for, not the videos I'm not looking for, which prove the point?
1: Okay. Right, and that's because their algorithm is designed not to optimize for facts or for ranking the world's information, which mm-hmm. is or used to be Google's mission statement. Right, It's more of a, it's an entertainment platform. It's just that as people choose to consume uh, information in video form now. And the platforms, by the way, are absolutely Mm -hmm. involved in pushing that. I mean, Facebook, Twitter, all of them created or acquired their own video platforms. Instagram just announced that it's competing with YouTube now, right? Yes, it is, yeah. So this push towards consuming information in the form of video means that even though YouTube didn't necessarily want to be an information platform, it is there. And so we were talking about responsibility a little bit earlier I believe that when you build the algorithms that recommend content to people, you have a responsibility to surface good information. Right. I'm surprised that this is a controversial position. <laughs> I agree. You don't feed bad meat to people in the story. You get in trouble. You do, but then you
0: get in big trouble. Um, let me ask, this is a question from uh, uh, one of our readers. A. Penzera wanted to ask about two things. I'm going to summarize them. One was whether using people to sway people's opinions, even a seemingly harmless way, is a form of warfare, which I think you called it. Another question is how easily someone who's in a position of power can manipulate data on the web. A. Panzer asks, how do you bring democracy and justice to the Wild West of social
1: media? Would you call it Wild West, or how do you... Um it maybe in the last year it's it's gotten a little better, I think as they've they've made some uh, some steps to, to kind of rein in the mass harassment on Twitter mm-hmm. or the um, the, uh, the clickbait headlines, gaming the algorithm to you know, right. to achieve top billing on Facebook, right? Um, I think that part of it is also, you know, for, for a while, one of the social norms on the internet was that you didn't, you know, you didn't pick fights. Not the don't feed the trolls, but even like when your baddie aunt sends you the hoax, you just kind of ignore it. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think there's something to be said at this point for people pushing back within their own communities, because there's a lot of evidence that shows that trust in community, trust in the people that you actually know can have an impact. And so saying, hey, maybe you want to fact check that, or hey, you know, I found this article that seems to be uh, false information, you know, just kind of presenting it more compassionately than like, mm-hmm. you're a fucking idiot, you know, just doing it a little bit more uh, right. Um, right, graciously within the community is, is an option. Right. right. So being nicer, that's really essentially what you're saying. Civility, civility. yeah, I mean that's sort of broken down. I feel like, again, I feel like an old person saying that.
0: <laughs> I don't know if it's coming back, I have to tell you. I, when does it come back? Why?
1: In what format? I don't have an answer to that question. Yeah. I really don't know. I yeah. really feel that the... Toxic. Um, the amplification of the most toxic content, the most toxic impulses, is a um, you know to some extent it is a problem of algorithms. What is surfaced, what is volunteered to us. Mm-hmm. But then on the other, it is yeah, it's just uh, people are people. People. I was just looking at the Alan Dershowitz thing yesterday. Did you see
0: that? He said people are mean to him. Oh, Martha's I remember vineyard. seeing that people right.
1: were mean to him on Martha's Vineyard. His right, community is, is shunning him. Yeah. Yes. And well, then, I mean that's sort of. Uh, that's always been done. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: And it was interesting though how quickly people came with responses and it was immediately all about the immigrant kids. It's like, oh, you're getting shunned. What about the babies? You know, and it was really like, whoa, that that this like just making fun of this idiot for saying something so stupid has turned ugly real fast. And it was being used. It was fascinating to watch. And it was all real. It was all true. He did say it and he looked like an idiot. And but then it was used in ways I agree with, but it was it was a really interesting uh, issue. So, when you think about the societal sickness, then um, I, I hate to say, it, what happens in a society that's addicted like this,
1: besides becoming an episode of Black Mirror? <laughs> that um, I think that is such a hard question. I, I one of the things that the platforms are looking at now is this notion of uh, healthy discourse. What are the metrics for healthy sure. discourse? Um, you could argue, kind of better late than never. I think Twitter was the one who started this. They've got uh, five teams, all academics. Uh, I know some of the foundations are also working on thinking about how do we quantify this. You know, what are the uh, what are the types of interactions that we see, and can we predict things like dog piles that are going to be used to silence someone? Can we mm-hmm. predict things like? Um, who to surface on Twitter is particularly a strong example because at least on Facebook you're kind of opting in. Mm-hmm. You're opting into the friends that you have, you're opting into the groups that you join. Most of the groups have moderators, whereas Twitter is very much more this um, sure. kind of roiling crowd that's, you know, mm-hmm. always angry about something. Um, so the thoughts around how do we surface constructive conversation, I think right now they've gone very much to a kind of like almost a keyword moderation. I'll click into the, the, um, the little gray box. You know, they're calling it gray boxing now, gray boxing, shadow banning. I'll click into the gray box. And sometimes it's just somebody who used profanity mm-hmm. in their reply to me, which was not directed at me, but it had mm-hmm. the profanity. Mm-hmm. So there's, yeah. I think, a, a challenge a in how do you not overly sanitize conversation? How do you not, like, inadvertently, digitally tone police people, so to speak, right. um, while at the same time recognizing that the gray box is actually a very valuable tool for people who, you know, for perhaps the restoration of, like, civility in in conversation.
0: yeah, that'll be difficult. So is AI helpful in solving these issues? Because they always keep shooting that out. And and
1: talk about that issue. How do you get that? I would say, yes, I would say it does have value. I I think that um, I might— kind of diverged from from some other folks at CHT on this particular issue. Yeah. And the reason that I do think it's valuable is because at scale I don't think you can do this with human moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you need ten million. Right. They were talking and about hiring
0: ten thousand. I think Susan would just gear one of them. And
1: I said, you need ten million. There's, I don't see any way that you do this with individual people. Mm-hmm. Also, I feel like we've we've seen evidence now that people who do get stuck with that job have, you know, serious psychological damage. They're right. looking at all sorts of terrible things on the internet, not mm-hmm. just like mean words. I mean, right. there's some really nasty shit that shows up mm-hmm. on these platforms, mm-hmm. and. So, using AI as a way to flag, I think that there's an interesting opportunity here where we come up with a framework where first pass is done by the AI. I mean, it already is right now, let's be honest, Mm -hmm. right? Right. If there's a pass at all. (laughs) If there's a pass at all. Um, but the first pass is done by the AI, and then you kind of flag things for further review. That's where you have your people mm-hmm. who are presumably trained. One of the things that we've seen, you know, we, we talk about this, and me in particular, because I am in the U.S., from a very U.S.-centric point of view. Yeah. Sure, but then you see these horror stories about literal lynch mobs killing people in India because mm-hmm. of hoaxes that appear on WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, Which is encrypted, so it's hard for them to control. Yes. And so there is What do this, they do? What does Facebook do? Nothing. Well, they tried sending people out to um, talk about how they were seeing hoaxes. And I, you know, very sadly, one of the people whose job it was to debunk the hoaxes was one of the people who got killed Mm -hmm. because a hoax started about him. Right. So this is a terrible situation. Uh, I do think that community involvement, um, people who speak the language, Mm -hmm. people who understand the nuance of the slang, otherwise you do wind up with these situations where You know, campaign ads are pulled down because they say Bush, even though they're talking about Bush's beans, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This is a huge problem, I think, that we've delayed way too long on beginning to solve it. And Mm -hmm. right now, again, it's going to be a combination of people who have really... um, been studying this and talking about this for a very very long period of time mm-hmm. working with the platforms to try to come up with frameworks that work. The so AI not the answer, just the beginning of the answer. AI is the beginning of the answer. Right. AI is the first flag and then we have to wait and see uh I I don't think AI has the Capability right now to right. to do what we so need to that. do in the short term.
0: So, talking from the center of Humane Technology, what you, where you were a founding advisor, again, I want to get back to this idea of what you do. What are the things you do? So, yeah. can you give some sec- like, sure, yeah. Do you think you're ta- you're spending your time with technology? Well, talk about yourself. What addictions that you could kick when you? Came <laughs> you have um, a kid? I, I do. I've got two kids. Time. I've
1: got a four and a half year old. I who, about Fortnite, almost continually. Yeah, my four and a half year old loves YouTube. Yeah, and the reason he loved well, yeah, YouTube the... is because when he was very small, um, he really had a thing for garbage trucks. Loved garbage yeah, trucks. Yeah, they all do. Boys. <laughs> I know. I don't know why. I don't understand problem. what it is about garbage trucks. But, cool. but there was this video that I found on YouTube, literally an hour long. Somebody filmed garbage trucks yep, across the country. I know that video. You've seen this video, right? They set it to like you know metal, and it's like this. Enjoy. Loved that video, and that took us into Blippy, and then we had the Blippy channel. Um, And this is great content. This is really yeah. useful content, both from the standpoint yeah. of, like, as a parent, I want to take a shower, mm-hmm. I, you know. <laughs> garbage trucks. Unfortunately, right, I can leave him with the garbage trucks. The problem is now at four and a half, he understands that he can click this button and get away from the garbage trucks and get away mm-hmm. from blippy. And then this is how I find myself dealing with, like, unboxing videos which target children, which is just – this is, you know, not the biggest problem the world faces, but in my house yeah. <laughs> this is a problem. Yeah. Uh, because then it turns into, I want that toy. I want to watch someone play with Play-Doh. I'm like, you could play with your own Play-Doh. No, I don't want to. I want to watch somebody else play with Play-Doh. And I'm like, this is the craziest thing. This is like Twitch for, mm-hmm. like, four-year-olds with Play-Doh. I, uh-huh. You know, how ha- just play with your own Play-Doh. Right. Um, so there is that element where now we're like, okay, you only get, you know, 22-minute, 2 22-minute episodes, I prefer you to be on Netflix, which is sanitized, so I don't find mm-hmm. you looking at God knows what on YouTube. Um, I believe that, that there really, you know, there's a balance, there's a responsible way to use it, but the problem is the autoplay on YouTube in particular was really destructive in our house because it meant that he, unless I was in the room at the minute that the video was rolling, I would have to have a fight about how he just wanted to watch it to the end. Right. I myself, you know, outside of uh, outside of my little boy, um, I do that thing where you pick up your phone and you pick it up for a purpose, and you're like, "I'm going to send an email to this person," and then you see the red button, you know, the red dot on yeah, like, some which, app, yeah. and you're like, "Oh, is that red dot?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you're you know you're four apps in before you realize that you just never did the thing that you actually picked up the phone to do. Right. So I, I do notice the intentionality uh, being mm-hmm. a little bit yeah amiss. Right. Um. I wouldn't say I'm addicted. I do believe I'm very much more easily distracted. Right, right. And well, It makes me uncomfortable. It's there to yeah. distract you. Like, there's just one more thing. That's Yeah, thing. well, everything is competing for attention. Right. This is the This, this is the one really does right? get
0: it. I can turn off a television. It's hard to turn off the phone. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can totally. actively turn off a television pretty easily. Well, it's easily.
1: the pushes also. I get these, you know, the push yeah.
0: notifications. Even I when on I try to
1: turn most of them off, um, you know, you, you glance down because you're like, yeah. you know what I got that I've actually found was thought was very helpful from a technological standpoint. I got a Ringley bracelet. Oh, Uh, My husband got it for me when I had our second baby. Mm -hmm. And it has his number and the daycare number and the preschool number. And so if one of those three people is calling me or texting me, it will buzz. And so it just gives me a little tiny, like, nudge on the wrist. There's no screen. There's nothing Mm -hmm. for me to push or turn off. It just lets me know, somebody important just called. You should probably pay attention attention to that. Or texted you. Yeah, because that's the one area where I'm like, when you have two little kids, you need to be reachable. Right, right. So.
0: Yeah, you need to be reachable everything just so you know it goes on and on and <laughs> on. And on. Um, so let's finish up talking about w- things people can do on these, all these areas, on disinformation, on uh, the use of the phones, on civility. Give me one tip for each of those because you're in all these areas.
1: Yeah, disinformation, it's really um, they're preying on your confirmation bias, right? Mm-hmm. When they're when the content is being pushed to you, it's something that that you want to see. So take the extra second to do the fact check, even if it confirms your worst impulses about someone you absolutely hate, before you hit the retweet button, before you hit the reshare button, just take the extra second Mm -hmm. uh, until we get to a point where we don't all have to do that all the time, every minute of every day. Right. Um, So something comes in, uh, Hillary Clinton emails if you're that side, like it's not true that you... He said this yeah, he, I, I think this is the um, you know it's like the benefit of the doubt factor. I think we've kind mm-hmm. of lost that entirely right. at this point. Right. Um, everything is the worst thing that anyone possibly could have done until 5 minutes later when the next worst thing right. comes up again. Right. Leaves people in a constant state of stress and you know emotional mm-hmm. upheaval. It's not healthy. Right. Um, on the addiction front, gosh, I would say <sighs> Turn off notifications. <laughs> get yourself something that doesn't have a screen so that you get the alerts that you need. That, that's mm-hmm. really been instrumental um, for us. And there was a third thing that you asked, and it was disinformation. Civilizing. Civility. Uh, I think, again, it, it goes back to um, what I try to do. I follow a lot of Republicans across the spectrum, um, mm-hmm. including some Trump Republicans. And I try to do the same thing on the left. I feel like it just gives me some perspective. Meaning? Um, I try to read content to not agree with their point of view, but understand their point of view. Mm-hmm. I do think that there's something to be said for that. Um, I was part of a fellowship program that was sponsored by both the Bush and Clinton Foundations, um, And I had the opportunity to to spend a lot of time with um, what I would now call moderate Republicans, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) reasonable Republicans. Um, And I I felt like, you know, there were a lot of things that we disagreed on, but as people, there was a fundamental, like— underlying respect for a kind of shared humanity in sure. the conversation Sure, I think the problem is the nut jobs on both sides okay. Yeah, I get just
0: as much from the left as the right the other exactly. day I was literally like you've got to be kidding me yeah, and, I, and I expect better from the left honestly <laughs> I'm sort of like you know but then I'm like no you're still you're using the same tactics which is interesting do you um, I actually have a last one. what do you think the impact of Trump is on this because he's such an active social media what, if he got kicked off of Twitter he had nowhere to go would he, wouldn't he He's never going to get kicked up on Twitter, but that's a different thing. Well, stuff. Fox will continue to push
1: yeah, I know, to the, but base, the same thing. Yeah, but it's not the same thing. Trevor Burrus, Jr.: Well the question is, you know, on one of the things that's that's YouTube, an interesting YouTube. question that um, the way that the intelligence communities think about mm-hmm. leaving hostile content up online, letting mm-hmm. letting the ISIS account stay, for example, was are you getting more information than you otherwise would? Like is what's mm-hmm. the cost-benefit of, of having that information? So if the people on the left are not gonna watch Fox News or watch the areas where the president is speaking. Uh, is it perhaps better, almost, that they have this accessibility where they can just go click into his account, read it, and, and be done? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more and more people get their information, get their news from from social media rather than actually mm-hmm. going out and picking up a newspaper. So, this is so is, is a, he the symptom
0: uh, or the cause? Because he's the most perfect. Example. I think he's
1: definitely exacerbating the symptoms. Unfortunately, I think that mm-hmm. the particularly like belligerent, constantly hostile, um, constantly outrageous tone that he prefers is deeply harmful.
0: Does it wear off? Get tiresome after a while? It's like a TV show.
1: I think that the fatigue is actually a, a problem, right? You don't you don't want to get so fatigued that you check out because that's how mm-hmm. disinformation works. Mm-hmm. That's how, you know, the I can't tell what's true anymore. I don't trust the people around me anymore. Um, the effort to find the truth is so arduous that I'm not going to bother. And then... Uh, In more authoritarian countries, it's um, the government is what it is. And And people zone out. And people zone out.
0: Outrage. Anyway, well, there's lots of outrage, and we'll see where it goes. Let's hope we have better news next time we talk about this. We'll see what happens. Maybe everyone throws their phone in the river or something, do you think? No.
1: No. Nice. <laughs> no, it'll be attached to your head,
0: and then you'll be... Literally, it's like an episode of Black Mirror, um, but a real bad one. Um, this has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thanks again to Renee Duresta for joining me on the show, and I, I hope your kids are going to school with, with vaccinated <laughs> children. <laughs> yes, you know? they are. Okay, good. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. That's fascinating that you did that. That's, that's really... I wouldn't have done that, but good for you. Uh, you find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review there or just tell someone you know about this podcast. If you haven't already, go check out one of our other shows. I host Recode Decode and Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media. If you have questions to any tech topic or latest tech news, tweet them to at Recode with the hashtag 2 or email them to 2 at Recode.net. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our sponsors and to Cadence 13 and Vox Media, which sells those ads so you can listen to this show for the low, low price of free. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back next week to answer more of the questions you've been too embarrassed to ask, so tune in then.